Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Javier Lay, an experienced leader in the field of substance use disorder treatment, both nationally and internationally, with a passion for helping others find lasting recovery. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Javier Lay, who has been the executive director at Arcadia Trails Integris Health since February 2021. This position came about through a partnership between Arcadia Trails Integris Health and the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. Javier earned a doctorate in professional counseling from Mississippi State College, a master's in healthcare transformation from the University of Texas at Austin, a master's in clinical mental health counseling from St. Mary's University at Texas, and a bachelor's in finance from the University of Florida. He has over 12 years of experience in the field of substance use disorder treatment, which has occurred in multiple settings both in the United States and internationally. His professional journey has included experience at the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation in Center City, Minnesota, and as Vice President of Operations for Valley Hope in the region that includes Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri. He has served as a member of the Board of Directors for the Minnesota Certification Board for Addiction Professionals, and has also served as co-chair for the Alcohol and Drug Counselor Credential with the International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium, also known as IC and RC, the world's largest credentialing body of addiction professionals. Additionally, he's been involved with the IC and RC as a subject matter expert in diverse capacities. Javier, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, uh, Charles. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. I'm so excited to have you on. So we've known each other for a few months now, maybe almost a year, going on a year, and uh, have spent some time together. And I've been uh, invited on a tour and shared that experience with you there at Arcadia Trails. And uh, we've, we've gone to a uh, recovery event downtown in Oklahoma City, and, and I've gotten to know each other, and it's been a pleasure the whole way. So glad to have you as a guest. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was great having the chance to meet you and, and, and meet your family as well. Right. Yeah. All of our families came out there. So maybe I'll repost that picture from then as a memory, because it was a great time. Well, Javier, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question, and you've chosen yours. So I'll send that your way, and then we'll just see where the conversation takes us. Okay, Javier, what are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? Um, as a person in long-term recovery from a substance use disorder myself, uh, without a doubt, I would have to say that the story around my addiction and the story around my recovery uh, sort of uh, uh, construe the realities about uh, the triumphs and struggles that have shaped my life. Uh, they have definitely touched every single aspect uh, of my life, either one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's a lot more there. Feel free to share at whatever level is comfortable or, or seems helpful for you. Of yeah, course. so you know, a little bit about your journey, if you'd like to share some of, of that. Course. When did it start? What happened? What, did, what is it like now? Of, of course. So I'm, um, I was born in the Central American country of Nicaragua uh, in a time of a lot of conflict um, and violence. Uh, there had been a family that had ruled the country for decades, uh, a very strong uh, dictatorship. 
Uh, and there was a group of people, uh, college students actually, that started thinking about freedom, right? And how do we how do we retake our freedom from this dictatorship? Uh, and uh, they started our revolution. Uh, and that revolution ended in having civil war in the capital city. Uh, the dictatorship was overthrown. Uh, and this group of people uh, took control of the country. Um, and uh, many of us thought that that was going to be the path to, to freedom in my country of Nicaragua. But as it happened in many countries in Latin America, these freedom fighters, this, uh, a group of people that fought for freedom of speech and freedom of press, they went the path of communism and they became dictators themselves. So at some point, they became what they fought against. Um, um, that ended in a lot of uh, effects, negative effects in families. Over a million uh, Nicaraguans left the country at that time. Uh, families were separated. Uh, and families that stayed in Nicaragua, like mine, we suffered. There was rationing of food, of, of gas, of uh, household supplies. Uh, I remember that uh, we were given uh, tickets uh, every week to get like five gallons of gas per week uh, per family, uh, one bag of rice, a couple of rolls of toilet paper, uh, and everything was rationed like that. So you needed to make long lines uh, just to get your weekly supply, supply of food and, and, and uh, other sort of supplies. Um, and uh, being trained by my family, by my parents to uh, run away if the military would show up at school and there were moments, even when I was a second grader uh, at school, in which I had to hide in school because there was uh, fighting going on in the school. Uh, high school kids were trying to defend the school against uh, uh, people that were just uh, sort of causing trouble. And I've had a couple of experiences in which I just had to run uh, and uh, wait for my parents to go find me somewhere. Uh, so so that, that became very difficult uh, as a family. And at some point, Probably when I turned about 11 or 12 years of age, um, I uh, would get the chance to travel to, to Florida. Uh, that's uh, where most of my uh, dad's side of the family ended up. Uh, and uh, I got separated from my parents uh, for a few years. Um, they were trying to just keep me safe as um, uh, many of the boys my age were being kidnapped from schools or taken away. Uh, and uh, they would disappear for months, and some of them would, would uh, uh, show up, some of them would not. Uh, some of them would be easy to find, and, and, and some of them won't. Mm. Uh, so I, I ended up staying with uh, some of my dad's side of the family in Florida. Um, and after a while, um, I just missed my family, right? I just missed my, my parents. I, I missed my sister. I, I, um, I was difficult for me to sort of uh, uh, logically understand, um, you know, what was going on in life. Why, 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 like asking those questions, like, what does this have to happen to me? Sort of questions, right? Uh, but, and I became very sad as a teenager. Um, and that sadness at some point sort of internalized, right? Because when people would ask, I would say, I'm fine, right? Uh, but I would like sometimes just cry myself to sleep uh, in, in silence because I didn't want anybody asking me what's wrong with you or, or what are you feeling, right? Uh, uh, so I just sort of uh, buried my face in the pillow some, some nights and just uh, cried myself to sleep. Uh, but at some point, as I grew up into my middle teens, that, that sort of sadness 
uh, without being expressed to, to anyone, uh, turned inwards and became anger. And I became the sort of angry teenager, right? Uh, sort of in, in trouble at school, uh, not, not caring about schoolwork, um, sort of getting in trouble, getting detention, suspended, all those sort of things. Uh, and at some point, I, I found uh, alcohol and I found other substances uh, and that became my solution, right? That that became my remedy. That was my way of coping with uh, the emotions that I wouldn't uh, accept in front of any other human being. Um, and um, um, it acquired such a powerful meaning to me, you know, because that was that was the way that I knew how to survive, right? That was the way that I knew how to cope with life and sort of uh, pretend to have fun. Sometimes I was having fun, but sometimes I was pretending to have fun, right? Because uh, the most, the scariest question that somebody would ask me if was if there was something wrong with me, right? I didn't want anybody to be getting into my emotional business and asking me about my emotions and issues like that. And and uh, so I just sort of uh, uh, find my refuge in uh, in substances. Um, and then as I just uh, grew up, that relationship just got stronger. Uh, uh, and uh, but the price that I paid for it also became more severe. Uh, by the age of 21 was the first time that I, I asked for help and I wanted to stop. And um, and uh, that led to a period of about 10 years of trying to cut down, trying to stop, uh, continuing on again, uh, trying to find different you know, maybe if, if I use this or if I use that or if I hang out with a different group of people, it might be different. Or, you know, trying to, trying to find my own solution to, to my situation uh, with, with no avail, right? I mean, uh, making uh, sort of a different geographical sort of escapes. I ended up at going back to my home country of Nicaragua uh, and sort of settling there and uh, sort of uh, growing up and thinking, you know, I mean, I just need to you know, like outgrow this, right? And, and and maybe this is just something that I did when I was younger, uh, but it's not it's not consistent with somebody that wants to be a professional. Uh, but at the end of the day, it always caught up to me, right? It always it always like no matter how hard I tried um, to sort of control my my issues and and, and my problems, it always found a way to uh, catch up to me and and uh, catch up to me in a way that was stronger than the previous than the previous uh, the, the previous time, right? So it was sort of a mind-boggling, right? Because as a human being, I don't want to be that person that sort of admitted that they were doing things against their will, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be that human being that was under control, right? I mean, I do things because I want to or because I like to. I don't want to say mean like uh, sometimes I use when I wanted to, but sometimes I use when I didn't even want to, right? When I, had, when I just had this sort of a... Uh, idea in my mind of like this is the start of my new life today especially on Mondays right this is the beginning of my new life and then like uh a couple of hours later being in the same spot thinking man I'll just have to wait till next Monday now right for the beginning of my life and uh nothing happening right just things getting worse uh with with time uh so I went through that period for about 10 years uh ended up uh at some point uh getting married starting a family um, and, uh, I always like to reflect on moments of breakthrough, right? When something just sort of clicks inside in a sort of different way. And for me it was the birth of my uh, oldest daughter, right? Uh, uh, it was one day, I just, uh, she was just, uh, recently born and I looked at myself in a mirror, it was a morning 
uh, and I just said, man, what, what are you doing, man? What, what are you doing with your life? What's, I mean, this is, you're not having fun. You're not, I mean, you're, you're using and you're suffering. Um, so it was sort of my way of like looking at myself honestly for the first time. Like people were, had been telling me how bad I looked for, for a long time, right? And, and now I, I wouldn't see it that way, right? I would, I would always say there's just something wrong with the way that they're looking at things, right? Uh, but that day I saw myself in a different light and, um, and, uh, I sort of, a, a lot of that sort of a defense has just sort of melted away. And, and I accepted a lot of help that had been offered to me for, uh, for a long, long time. And, uh, my wife was my guiding light into, into my recovery. My parents, um, and my sister, they never lost faith in me. They're, 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 were a great example of unconditional love, right? Like no matter uh, what had happened or what I did, they were always there to support. Uh, and I ended up in uh, Costa Rica uh, in a place that had been trained by Hazelden uh, a couple decades before. Uh, and so all the material that I read in my early recovery came from Hazelden, which translated in Spanish. And I started sort of asking myself, what is this place? You know what I mean? Like, because of course I want to know where I'm getting my information. Is it credible or not? Is it something that I can buy into or not? Um, and it was in that time, in that experience, uh, that I started feeling useful as a human being, uh, and that I knew. I just knew at that time that I wanted to dedicate my life at helping others that were in the same path in the same journey, right? And and um, I made that mistake of of expressing it out loud, a little bit too out loud. And a lot of people told me, "Come down, you gotta you gotta uh, help yourself first and and and, and heal." Uh, but that idea always stayed in my mind. I always knew uh, that I wanted to sort of uh, shift uh, the pathway of my career. And what I wanted to uh, dedicate my life because I had seen myself as a person that should be dead and, and I wasn't, right? To me, what I was experiencing was nothing short of a miracle. Uh, so I felt that I owed uh, life uh, something in return. I felt that I uh, um, can get behind into if I could just be a positive light like many people of the folks that I met in that experience, they were just so ready to help me, right? I didn't know uh, many of them, right? There was a lot of family members, my immediate family, uh, a lot of friends that were supportive, but there was a lot of strangers that were supportive, right? A lot of strangers, people that I had just recently met that were just willing to go the extra mile. Um, and I just felt so taken by uh, that level of compassion and that level of love for another human being, right? It just said, this is just... Yeah, you know, it just felt it in my heart that that was the sort of direction, and and I made a promise that that's that was the pathway that I needed to take in my life, and I've had the opportunity to follow that path um, after that. That and that sort of uh, started my my journey, and I I knew I wanted to prepare myself um, academically, uh, so I went back to school, got a master's degree in mental health counseling. Um, and started that journey also with a lot of doubts and insecurities, right? Like, I mean, am I going to be able to do this? I haven't gone to school in, in like 20 years. 
uh, what is this going to be like? Or, or am I kidding myself, right? I mean, am I just fooling myself? Am I an imposter? Am I a pretender? Uh, maybe I don't have what it takes to, to go, go back to school and achieve this. But uh, um, I was able to do that many times in which I wanted to quit, right? When work was difficult, when family was difficult, and then you got to go home and do homework and assignments. And, and, and I thought maybe, maybe this wasn't for me, right? Uh, uh, and in moments like that, uh, uh, my wife would kick in, right? And she'd like give me a little pep talk, and 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 uh, I would say, yeah, I mean, I mean, I deserve this, you know, I could do this, right? Uh, and I would just make it one day, and then all of a sudden, you look at that, and you, you graduate, and you finish, and and I went through the journey for uh, it took me about eight years to finish two master's degrees and, and a doctoral degree. Um, uh, so sort of a big accomplishment, I think for, for, for me and, and for somebody that had trouble finishing high school, right. For somebody that, that had at some point in their high school uh, career had a 1.2 GPA when going to college was not even in my, in my, in my horizon, right. I mean, that's not a possibility that I saw in my life, uh, at some point and then having the opportunity through recovery through to be free from the shackles right so you could grow into the person that you were meant to be and and uh, had the opportunity to start my work in the field in in my home country of Nicaragua uh, where we did a lot of work that I've always been so proud of uh, we became affiliated uh, with the Matrix Institute, which was an affiliate of uh, UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, uh, and became the first facility in Latin America that was classified as a center of excellence by the Matrix Institute. Uh, so that was uh, that was something that I was very proud of. And we also worked at uh, certifying, uh, credentialing the addiction counselors in my home country of Nicaragua through the ICNRC uh, also were also the first uh, counselors in my country that uh, were certified in th with the same sort of expectations as counselors in the United States. So that was uh, that sort of uh, a journey that also started our conversations in Nicaragua in regards to evidence-based practices and the importance of evidence-based practices in the work that we do. Um, also had the opportunity there to work in Honduras. And I know you've had your experiences in Honduras. Um, and I was invited uh, to talk to a board of directors for an organization called Predisan, uh, which provides healthcare services uh, in Honduras. And I encountered this organization that just touched my heart, right? I mean, these are providers that travel from the U.S. missionaries, um, and uh, providers from, from within Honduras also that uh, serve the underserved. And when I'm talking about the underserved, I mean from a different sort of perspective that we can think about in a first a world country. Um, I'm talking about these people uh, to provide services. They needed to get on donkeys, right? And, and travel on donkeys on, uh, for hours, sometimes days, just to get to the villages and places that, you know, that healthcare... Uh, services were not available, right? And you could see something like that and you could sort of uh, see people giving their time as volunteers to do something like this, um, provide services to to folks that uh, are dying from uh, uh, preventable uh, issues uh, in third world countries, uh, just sort of touched my heart. Uh, so I had the opportunity to uh, make my impact in that organization as well. Uh, and get, I was invited to speak to the Honduran Congress also as well 
um, just to talk about stigma and talk about uh, substance use disorders and the need for treatment um, that was needed in, in, our, in the entire Central American region and, and everywhere else. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's pause just for a minute. Yes, so of please course. keep your train of thought because you're an excellent storyteller for one. And I, I just want to thank you for sharing long form, first of all, for sharing your experience, you know, what it was like. And that's so important on, on this show, but in, in any conversation, really, involving uh, who, how we see ourselves in the world and then our journey of recovery. And so you mentioned some really formative and, and challenging experiences in your early days as, as a young person in Nicaragua in the middle of civil war, uh, you know, really worrying for, um, uh, for your survival at times and coming face to face with violence. It sounds like fairly often when it, when it could have been live or die type experiences and, and coming through these experiences, I know your family, as you've mentioned throughout your story has been key for you. Unconditional love. I heard you mention at one point, but even in these really, uh, challenging, uh, circumstances that, there's so much, I'm going to use the word trauma uh, or potential for trauma in the midst of violence and uncertainty and chaos in, the, in these types of situations most of us cannot relate to. And us, I mean, those that have not experienced it, that may come from the quote-unquote first world. So I know other guests on my show, including Imam Imad and Chasi, has had experiences as a refugee, lived, grew up in a refugee camp where there was violence very often. But that experience sounds like it, was, it played a tremendous role in, in just how maybe you see the world or saw the world. And then there was sadness that came in, in your teenage years. That, and, you know, this, I don't want people to know what's going on, and so we put up our walls. And then the substances came in. And what did the substances do in terms of uh, of, you know, the interaction that it had with your emotional life. Because sometimes people are wondering, like, there's a motivation or reason why individuals that use substances, they're getting something from them, even as it becomes a disorder or addiction over time. What did it do for you in, in the beginning during that phase when you were sort of experimenting and using substances and getting those effects? Yes, so, so it was my escape from, from my sadness and anger, yeah. right? It was my way to interact with others in a in a happy fun way quote unquote uh it was my way of saying wow i like this side of life right and this is the opposite of my side of life which is life without substances that that sad and angry and and questioning sort of life uh so i found um a refuge mm -hmm. i found uh sort of uh the escape uh, that 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 sort of uh ways in which I could say maybe this is the way to live life, mm -hmm. right? Maybe maybe I've been missing all along, right? Maybe this was the real path I should have <laughs> taken from even before I took it, right? And this is this is the truth, right? And 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 that became very powerful to me, like in my in in my own internal sort of world, it became so such it acquired such a powerful meaning. Yes, um, and and for me too, as a person that identifies in being in long term recovery myself. Uh, from alcohol and other substances. Absolutely, I can relate, you know, on a personal level. Uh, I have a different journey in life, but very similar in, in terms of substance use and, and what it did for me. And of course, we both work in, in different aspects of the field of, of addiction treatment and then me on the more recovery side or prevention side. Uh, and and those are the stories that I hear all the time, and I know you do too, that it, it somehow changes us and, and becomes more important. We value it, the substance or substances and what they can do for us. Over time, though, there's a switch that happens, and you said so in your story, where the effect that you were getting was 
you know, n- not as good as the, uh, as it used to be maybe, but then also sometimes you were using when you didn't want to, then this becomes more of the disorder uh, phase of it. You know, maybe there's some negative consequences that start happening uh, over those 10 years, I think in your case. And then this experience when, was it your oldest daughter was born? Was that yes, when, yes, that was. was that experience. So, and, and then your wife was there as part of that. How, what does that experience mean looking back in terms of um, what that was able to do for you? I know you mentioned some, but what does it mean to you today to look back on that experience and, and, and what it was able to do for, for your period of life up to now? Yeah, it's, it's always one of the um, strongest, uh, clearest memories that I have in my life today. And one of those moments in life, and, and, and I know you could always see life as a process, right? In, in which one event leads to another event, leads to another event. Uh, but I also like to think about it in terms of those breakthrough moments, right? Uh, and of course, those breakthrough moments were influenced by other events before that. But that moment itself in which defenses uh, melted away and I knew that I did not want to be that type of person anymore, right? I, I did not want to be that type of dad, and I did not want to be the type of husband that I was being to 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 my wife, uh, and it just sort of uh, hit me internally in a different way, right? And it's something that I always think about, especially when I sort of uh, I'm a person that still. I mean, I celebrate my my sobriety date. It, it, I use uh, I use it as a time to sort of reflect and look back and see how much my life has changed and sort of a uh, a bask a little bit on how grateful I am in, 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 in my life as, as it is today and everything that has happened uh, before that. Um, but I always go back to that moment, right? That was just one of those key moments uh, that uh, have meant uh, so much to me yeah. uh, uh, personally. It's just one of those moments that are, uh, that are so me, right? They're, they're, they're mine, right? They're, they're, they're difficult to sometimes to try to share with others because of what it meant personally to me. Uh, but I always remember remember that time and that experience. Um, it, it's one that I'll never forget. It's it's uh, sometimes when you think about, you know, like maybe, and people always, many people would always ask uh, or, or think about, oh, I wish my life had been different this way or my, I wish my life had been different in that other way. I wish I hadn't experienced that. But for me, when I look at myself today and I find this sort of, uh, uh, con- I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. I'm very uh, grateful with the life that I live today. I'm so appreciative of all the blessings that I've had in recovery. And I would not be the person that I am today if I had not gone through all those struggles that I did in different periods of my life, meaning they will shape me into who I am today, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so I cannot wish any of those away because I would not be the person that I am today. And today I am a person, I, I, I like who I am when I look at myself in the mirror. Uh, and uh, all those events had at some point made me stronger as a human being. They taught me a lot of lessons that might've been very difficult to swallow while they were happening but you're glad that they happen at some point because they just gave you another perspective, uh, another angle to which uh, to look at life. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for, for amplifying that, you know, and it goes back to the original questions, those struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life. And it's so evident that absolutely. And coming full circle 
for anyone listening into this part and thinking, you know, maybe you're not in this this phase where you like who you are. Maybe you're, you know, you're in the midst of substance use disorder and you can't stop and you've been thinking about it. This is a great conversation to have right now because it does get better after it gets different. That's what I like to tell people. Of you have course. to have these breakthrough moments and we can't manufacture them. We can't create those moments, but they do happen. And conversations like this can be a part of that. So this may be part of your recovery journey in the future. Maybe it starts now. Um, so that's to our listeners. But, but back to you, Javier. I, I wanted to pick back up and, and, then, and then really find out what you're doing today because I'm really excited uh, that you're here now in Oklahoma. But we'll get to that. I want, I want you to be able to tell that story. But going back to Nicaragua, you were able to, in your home country, go back and start these amazing programs, uh, evidence-based treatment programs, uh, and serving, uh, I don't know if the term is a campesinos, you know, there's the rural individuals that don't have access to care. This was part of the work there, I believe, right? And then, it was that also in Honduras? In Honduras, so, yes. That was Honduras. Yes. Okay, okay. And I did spend a little bit of time, but I don't want to take up too yeah. much of your time. I was studying forestry for anyone interested, but I can tell that on another, on another show. But yeah, so um, just a little bit more about, about maybe... How did you get started in, in Nicaragua to build that program? And then maybe a little bit more about what you were doing in Honduras. Um, it's, it's, all, it's another sort of, to me, mind-boggling experience, right? So we used to have this group of people that worked in different aspects of business that were in recovery, right? And and we used to meet uh, maybe a couple times a week, later once a week, and sort of uh, share about our issues and stuff, uh, supporting each other. And um, um, I had started in that group just uh, sort of sharing that, you know, like at that time I was working as a director of uh, sales and marketing uh, in another industry, right? And I was just sharing that uh, in that group with some of the folks there that I wanted to uh, work in, in addiction treatment, that I was, you know, I was preparing myself, I was going to school for it. Uh, at some point during that, I started uh, training to become a, a, a therapist. Um, and, uh, in one of those conversations, um, one of the folks there was, was saying that they had had a meeting with others and they wanted to start a not-for-profit, uh, that, um, uh, that was dedicated to, uh, addiction treatment. Uh, and that started a conversation and, and one of the, um, people that was part of that meeting, uh, he said, I want to be part of that, um, initiative all right, and uh, I want this to be uh, to move from the face of this is a conversation around a coffee break to reality. So I'm gonna put the first uh, seed money for this to happen, but I want have Javier to 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 manage this project. And wow, and that happened on a Friday. Uh, uh, on Monday, I quit my job and I started uh, uh, working in this project. Uh, That's we, incredible. Yes, and we just started sort of formulating the the, the ideas. We uh, uh, started this not for profit, and then we knew what we wanted to to build. Uh, we knew that we wanted to be affiliated with uh, uh, a U.S. entity. We found the Matrix Institute to be that. Uh, we also knew that we wanted to. Um, uh, have that conversation around evidence-based practices to have our counselors be uh, credentialed. Um, and we brought a lot of uh, uh, trainers uh, from the United States to Nicaragua to train uh, therapists from my organization, but also uh, we were very big on education. So we 
also trained therapists from other organizations and government agencies mm. as well. And that was my beginning of it. It just, I mean, I was just there when that was happening. I wasn't even part of the initial conversation, right? Uh, this person just said that, you know, after hearing me talk for so long that that was my sort of dream and, and that I wanted to do that, right? And it, that ended up being the person that became the uh, president of the board of directors of that uh, not-for-profit and uh, one of my mentors, one of the uh, folks that really shaped who I became as a professional, uh, this person was associated with a coaching agency, a business coaching, coaching agency in the United States called the Pacific Institute. Uh, they had worked with the University of Alabama uh, football team and Nick Saban uh, in regards to sort of mental toughness training uh, 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 in top of what, what they were doing when Nick Saban started working at Alabama. And he was the uh, representative of this uh, organization for Latin America. And he always talked about, uh, let's think big. Let's, uh, let's uh, uh, have a compelling future, right, that can move us. And we, we might not know the how today. And let's forget about the how. Let's think about what we want. And let's be clear on why we want it. And the how will come uh, at a later point, right? But, uh, and, and so I just sort of uh, fed myself with all these issues about how to think in a sort of different, from a different perspective, how to have clarity on, on a vision and how to have the force of the why behind it that will push you through messy middles, right? Because all projects have messy middles, uh, times in which you say, oh man, what, what did I get myself into here, right? Uh, that you have to find a ways to reconnect to that why to push you through those times. And, 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 uh, and uh, that sort of way of thinking that I learned from, uh, from this person, from this mentor, uh, is something that I've used for the, for, for the rest of my life and that I still use to, to this day. At some point, my wife and I started thinking about um, maybe I need another challenge, right? Maybe I need to sort of uh, challenge myself in a different way. Uh, and we started talking about uh, maybe we should go back to the U.S., right? We had been in Nicaragua for 17 years, right? I had no plans of, of I had never worked in the United States. Uh, they had I had zero plans to come and live in the United States. Uh, but when we started thinking about maybe challenging myself in different ways, the United States seemed the place to be, right? So uh, we started thinking about it and he said, I mean, you know, I mean, I have to go there and... Uh, uh, try to become a therapist and do all this and and how am I going to get a job if I'm here? So I just started applying uh, when I was back in Nicaragua and some folks down in Arizona gave me a chance. Uh, and uh, my family and I moved to, to Arizona in uh, 2015 and that started my journey uh, in the field in the United States. And uh, uh, I stayed in Prescott, Arizona actually for about a year. Uh, and then I had the opportunity of... Uh, of uh, working for the Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation, which had been one of my uh, my main, I think, professional goal, right? Because it took me back to the times in which I started my recovery, learning about Hazelden, uh, thinking about their reach, right? They reached me in Costa Rica with the work that they did, right, in regards to their pu publishing and their trainings. Uh, and I wanted to be part of that, right? And And... Um, I had the opportunity. Uh, I traveled to Minnesota for interviews and, and I was uh, 
offered the job my last day of, of uh, visiting Minnesota. And I called my wife and I said, pack up, we're going to Minnesota, right? And and that was also another scary moment because, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I come from Nicaragua. When it's cold, it's 70, right? <laughs> so thinking about going to Minnesota, oh, yeah. it, was, it was a big deal, right? But right. Um, I did not want that to become a barrier, right? I wasn't going to say I'm not going to follow this dream that I've had just because it's uh, it could get to like minus 20, right? Uh, so uh, we just packed up and, and, and we left. And um, and uh, that started my, my relationship with the Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation, uh, an organization that I, uh, um, uh, I, I just love that organization. I just, uh, I'm very proud to be part of it. Uh, it's an organization that has values that are aligned with my own personal values. And that's something that's very essential to me at this stage of my life, right? There are, I could think maybe there are other professions in which it might be easier uh, for you to be sort of disconnected from who you are as a person to what you do professionally. But in this, in this field, uh, authenticity and being genuine is, it, it, it's the essence of what we do. Um, so finding somewhere, uh, an organization that has the courage to change, the courage to do what's best for the patients, uh, always, uh, and to find that and to be part of that, uh, it's, it's a dream come true. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that it is. And, and, uh, so I want to dive off into that just one minute, but I want to pick up one key thread, so much great information, but, uh, one thing that you were sharing about the experience of, of starting the nonprofit in Nicaragua and then, uh, and then additional endeavors. One of the things amongst all those amazing relationships that were formed and how it came to be, you know, one Friday you're having coffee and then on Monday you've got a new job, you know, uh, that's part of the story. But, but what I wanted to pick up on was the why question, you know, the, the what and the, uh, the what and the, the, the why you, you could start there, right? That was told to you in terms of developing next steps and then the how would figure itself out, you know? And so there's lots of great quotes around that, but the question why, uh, in that context, if I'm hearing it right, that's in turn, that's motivation. You know, even when things get hard and difficult, the, the, the why, the why we're doing something, the why, the purpose for it is an internal motivator. That's what I tell people so much. If you can be clear about the why for whatever it is, the why you're doing what you're doing, the why you are who you are, whatever it is, the why that is, the way that it is, whatever the thing is, uh, whatever that, uh, it, however you can be clear about that, there's going to be a motivational aspect to it that underlies that, especially in terms of your actions in the world. So I hear that that, that has been a guiding principle for you, just knowing the purpose or the why for, for who you are and how you align with, say, your values in the workplace and with Betty Ford for example. So did you want to say another word or two about, uh, about what I'm uh, reflecting back to you now? Yes. Yes. And, and, and you're right. So that, that, that does become the driving force behind things, right? Um, because it is, it is when those moments get challenging and mm-hmm. uh, when there are a lot of doubts, whether you're going to be able to get to the other side of things mm-hmm. and to be able to see the light of the tunnels that you need to take a step back and, and sort of uh, remember, like, this is why I started this, right? This is why I made a decision uh, to to take this path in my life, right? And, and when you're clear about that, uh, I think that has so much force and so much power to get you through 
uh, to, to, to the other side of things. Oh, it's for sure. Well, that's wonderful. So I want to shift gears real quick and make sure that uh, we have time for you to really expand and, on uh, what you're doing. So we're in Minnesota now with Betty Ford, and, and you're coming down this way at some point, right? Because here we are in yes. Oklahoma. So how did you end up in Oklahoma? And really feel free to tell all about where you're at now and, of in whatever course, way of makes course. sense for you. So, so, so I, uh, I uh, took a step in between Hazel and Betty Ford and had the opportunity to work at uh, Valley Hope, uh, uh, their corporate offices in uh, Kansas, and I uh, supervised the areas, uh, uh, the regions that uh, were encompassed in Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri. Uh, so I had that, uh, that uh, position at Valley Hope for uh, three years, and in uh, the end of 2020, I had the opportunity to return to Hazel and Betty Ford, and, and I took that opportunity. Uh, and um, they were in conversations with uh, Arcadia Trails and Integris Health. Uh, they had uh, become affiliated uh, in, a, in a network that Hazel and Betty Ford has called the Patient Care Network. Uh, and um, in January of 2021, they formalized a partnership. Right in that partnership, Hazel and Betty Ford uh, was going to provide the executive director for Arcadia Trails and provide their expertise and their resources uh, to Arcadia Trails, uh, and that's uh, that's where I came in. Right, so as the executive director for Arcadia Trails, I am employed by Hazel and Betty Ford, um, and we get to leverage all the amazing expertise and resources that Hazel and Betty Ford. Uh, has uh, to uh, meet the goals that we have here for Arcadia Trails. So Arcadia Trails is part of Integris Health, uh, largest health system in, in Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, our um, facility is located in the medical campus uh, in the uh, Integris Health Edmond uh, Hospital, a beautiful facility started in May of 2019. And also a great story, right? I love I love stories like that, and and it was a great example of how a community came together, uh, and built it, right? It, our conversation uh, was had over dinner uh, between uh, four individuals in 2011, uh, Doctor Murali Krishna uh, that worked at Integris Health in in behavioral health, uh, uh, Reggie Witten, uh, uh, an attorney in our community. Uh, Kelly Dyer Fry, which at that moment was the editor of the Oklahoman, and uh, Terry White, which uh, was the commissioner of the uh, Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse, uh, sort of met for dinner at that time, and they started uh, thinking about. Um, I mean, we need to have a first-rate facility in Oklahoma. Uh, our our family members, our loved ones, don't have to travel to uh, other states, other places to find the quality treatment. Uh, that they need, and and, and they uh, garnered uh, a lot of uh, a lot of involvement from community members. A lot of people were uh, came together for this, and uh, they raised uh, the money, the capital that was needed. They partnered with Integris Health, and, and they built it. They built a beautiful state of the art facility, uh, sixty thousand square feet. Uh, started in May twenty nineteen. Um, and, and now moving forward with this partnership, uh, with Hazel and Betty Ford, uh, there's a couple of, uh, immediate goals that we have. Uh, one of them is we're building that full continuum of care, right? Uh, very important, uh, because, uh, Arcadia Trail started as an inpatient residential facility, 
uh, only, uh, but now we're expanding this to uh, build a full continuum of care because we're sort of a shifting our views in trying to look at addiction as a chronic condition. So chronic conditions uh, cannot be treated solely by an acute, acute episode uh, that has a discrete number of days, right? Uh, it needs to be treated from a chronic uh, condition perspective. Uh, and uh, different people need different things and different levels and different intensities of treatment. And only a continuum of care can meet the needs of individuals uh, uh, in, in, in a real way that's aligned with that uh, sort of perspective. And, and the second uh, big goal that we have is just sort of uh, continually add more insurance uh, plans and health plans uh, so our kitty trails can become increasingly more accessible to uh, more and more Oklahomans. Uh, so th those are the two areas that we're working on. We're happy uh, to announce that in a couple of weeks now, we'll be starting our partial hospitalization, PHP, and intensive outpatient programs uh, at Arcadia Trails. So that's our, um, when we do that, we'll have the full continuum uh, built, which will have us accomplish one of our first main goals that we'd have here in uh, in, in Oklahoma. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, my family and I arrived here in uh, February of last year um, and uh, started on, on this project. Uh, we're very excited with what the future has in store. Uh, and we are very excited with um, honoring honoring all the effort and all the heart of all those uh, Oklahoma City, Edmond, uh, and rest of the state community members that came together and, and built this, uh, all for the right reasons. And uh, we want to be able to honor that. Um, and we want to be able to be there for um, the people of, uh, of the state. It's incredibly meaningful to our state as an Oklahoman and someone with, you know, that's in recovery from substance use disorder myself and mental health disorders as well, co-occurring as they call it in the field. So anxiety and depression. I know that Arcadia Trails is one of these facilities that can address all of those needs under one house. And, and we're going to provide a link. You'll see anyone listening in, you can click on the show notes and there'll be a link to Arcadia Trails along with some other useful resources that, that we found for you. And then I want to make sure and uh, get, while we're here, get some contact information. Uh, best contact information for Arcadia Trails, and we're going to put it in the website. But uh, additionally, would you like to provide any of your contact information, the best way to, to contact you? Of, of course. So for Arcadia Trails, arcadiatrails.com, uh, our, our website uh, can also find in the social media, Facebook. Uh, for me personally, uh, email uh, Javier. Um, J-A-V-I-E-R dot L-E-Y at IntegrisOK.com uh, is a good way to reach me or in LinkedIn uh, also would be another good way to, to contact me. Okay. Well, I just want to say one more time, uh, Javier, thanks for being my guest. And I also want to say uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and to think it's just been a year since, you know, it's coming up on one year as the time of this podcast interview since uh, you and your family have come to Oklahoma and you've been in this role specifically and there are big changes on the way. So it's, it's incredibly exciting to the state. I'm looking forward to seeing the developments and uh, staying in touch for sure. Of course. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed our time together.
been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.